Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 87, an interview with Lizanne Lightfoot, the seasoned spouse. My name is Jessie Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Okay, uh, you guys, I have such a treat for you today. I have Lizanne Lightfoot on my podcast today, and I'm so excited to talk with her about her new book, Open Win. Lizanne, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much. It's really exciting to be here with you today. Oh, we're so excited. I'm so happy to have you here. So um, like I said, we're talking about her book today, and I want her, if she's all right with it, to just take a minute. Lizanne, would you introduce yourself? And just tell us a little bit about your book, and then we'll we'll get into it for sure. Sure. I'm Lizanne Lightfoot. Some of you might also know me as the seasoned spouse, because yes. that's the blog and the name that I've been using to write for the military community for about five years now. Mm-hmm. I'm a Marine Corps spouse, mom of five kids, and just published this book, Open When, Letters of Encouragement for Military Spouses, which is... I know we're going to talk about it more, but it's just a collection (laughs) of short letters to open at specific moments in specific challenges of military life, trying to cover your whole military journey from boot camp all the way through to retirement. Mm, That's incredible. When you first told me about this book, when I first heard about it, I thought, what a fantastic idea. I mean, one of my favorite aspects of it is that each chapter really stands alone because I, I have books that Uh, give me lots of military information or even books that are like, here's a lot of encouragement, but it's a little daunting to like, I'm going to sit down and read this 200 page book when I'm feeling frustrated or when I'm feeling overwhelmed, but instead to be able to go and say like this chapter, this two or three pages is exactly what I'm feeling right now. I can get there in eight seconds, right to the one I want to read about and hear about and get encouraged about and know that I'm not alone about and have that just that that experience you've given such a gift to the military community so i'm just so grateful to you and i've read my book and it's it's I, like i didn't read it cover to cover i read like each chapter right. that was enticing to me and I, there was so many and it's well loved and marked and ear tagged and i'm just i'm excited to get into it with you today awesome yeah that was the idea is that this is something that you can really just keep on your bookshelf throughout military life and um it speaks to very specific particular moments. And so for each letter, I was really putting myself emotionally and, you know, memory wise and image wise into those moments and thinking about what are people experiencing when they first learn about deployment orders, or when you find out that you are PCSing to a place you don't really want to go and just meeting the reader right where they are. And like you said, trying to give them that, that short, brief letter of encouragement. It doesn't have every single to do step-by-step of here's how to do military life, but it's really just meant to be like sitting down, having coffee with a friend and someone that can say, you know what, this is hard. What you're doing is hard right now, but I also know you're really strong. I know you're going to get through this. I've done it. My friends have done it. Here's some things that might work for you and it's all going to be okay. That's what we need to know in that moment. It's all going to be okay. And like, (laughs) we rationally understand that, but sometimes when you're in the thick of it or in the shock or, or whatever, you could sort of irrationally believe it's not going to be okay at certain parts. And we know like, there's so much great information out there as far as like next steps. And we know how to do that, 
But to get to the frame of mind where you're ready to like, oh, let me go research my next step. Sometimes you need this pep talk, you know, encouragement to like help you catch a breath, help you know you're not alone. And then, okay, now I'm ready to go take some action and research next steps and figure out what I need to do. Because I I love, you mentioned this in the book. um, There's like, there's no one piece we can't handle, but it's all together. And then sometimes just like getting really lost in those moments, right. When they come upon you that like, yeah, you know how to do it, but it's hard. It can be really, really overwhelming. And I think there's so much about military life that can be overwhelming. It can be the stress. It could be the deployments, the moves, solo parenting. I mean, there's a ton mm. and some of those things happen simultaneously. Uh, yeah. And yes. You're right. There's tons of resources out there. And I wanted to create something that was a little bit new and fresh that people weren't talking about. And I feel like that there's all these tiny challenges and these little moments in military life that are not a huge deal. I mean, at the end of the day, I have a chapter called open when you miss a phone call during deployment. It's not a make or break moment, but anyone who's been through that, you know, that it really does ruin your day (laughs) and it It just drags you down and it drains you. And that little event can really kind of sap your energy and your, your strength and everything that you've been trying to do for days to come. So I think that when we find our inner strength in these little challenges and when we learn how to kind of reorient or think about things in a different way or take the next step after a small challenge, it prepares you to do that for the bigger life-changing events too. Exactly. And you know, your whole military journey is made up of the tiny moments, right? And for those of us that have missed a call, (laughs) I think you could ask each, I mean, going to that specific example, I think you could ask each military spouse that has experienced that. And even if it just kind of ruined that day, like we'll still almost like never forget that moment because of the, just especially like you're waiting by your phone or you make sure you have it with you. And then you just like go to the bathroom or something. And that's (laughs) the minute they call you. Like we all have that story and that feeling of just dread and disappointment and not knowing when the next call's coming. Oh, we, we all have that story. And doesn't matter how small that moment was. It's impactful, like so impactful. Yeah. And so I think when you take collections of all of those moments. There are 75 letters in the book and some of them are for small moments and some of them are for pretty big events, but altogether, I just wanted to meet people where they are and talk them through some of these challenges that I think are oftentimes overlooked. Or if someone does vent about it in a military spouse group, you might get some sympathy, you might get some encouragement, but you also are just as likely to get people telling you, eh, that's just part of the life. Suck it up. It's going to be okay. Like deal because, with yeah, it. Yeah. They're not in that moment at that second. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what this book is. Every letter meets you in that moment. And I don't think that there's any of them telling you just get over it. (laughs) No, no. And I think you did like, as the author of this book, you really like transported yourself back to each moment. I could, I really felt that when I was reading that it was like, and, and, oh, one thing I wanted to mention was I love the way you sprinkled your own personal story, not necessarily in the chapters, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool um, that you were able to speak so not generally, it was very specific to the moment, but it was general enough that we could all put ourselves in that moment. But then I love how you sprinkled your personal story at in each section, because for me, I want to know you and know like that you've been through it. And so I want to hear your story too. And so I thought that was a very cool touch that in each section, you said, here's another big piece of my personal story, because I, as the reader, I want to get to know you as an author. And I thought that was just a beautiful touch. 
I'm so glad that is uh, the credit for that style goes to my editor nice. um, from Military Family Books. That was Terry Barnes that really helped me shape and form the manuscript oh. because when I first brought this idea, the letters were originally written in the first person. They did have more of my personal experience in each letter. So when I talked about, you know, missing that phone call during deployment, it was my experience of missing a phone call. Mm-hmm. And the editor helped me see that, you know, this, this book is really about the reader. And yes, they want to know who you are as an author. They want to know who you are as a spouse. But in that moment, what they're most concerned with is their own emotions. Well, I actually had to rewrite the entire book to be able oh. to that was a labor of love. Oh my goodness. It definitely was. Um, it was so daunting and I would not have done it on my own. So that was one of the benefits of, of having a traditionally published book and uh, an editor and, you know, a staff behind them that's encouraging me that, no, I think the manuscript really needs to look like this. But the end product, it, it's just so powerful to be able to, each of the letters is written to you. Literally, it says you might be going through this. Maybe you are feeling really confused right now. And I think when you read that, it just immediately hits you that I'm speaking to you as a reader. Um, But we did collect some of my favorite first person narratives, the most powerful ones, the ones that really kind of shaped me as a military spouse. And we used one of my personal stories at the beginning of each of the five sections of the book. So you really do get to see me going with my husband to the recruiters. Well, he was my boyfriend at the time. (laughs) You get to see me going with my boyfriend to the recruiter's office and our experience of deployments and our experience of moving overseas and all the way up to my experience of uh, preparing for retirement as a military spouse who's getting close. That's where you are right now, right? Not quite there. (laughs) I read that one. I was like, I wonder if they have gotten to retirement now or if they're still in it, but you're just still really, really close, but not quite there. Yes. I was able to edit that part um, just last year when it was still all very fresh and my husband still has two more years active duty. So we're right in that kind of cusp of transitioning almost, but not quite. And that's why I just, I really think it's so exciting to be able to share my personal experiences and help them inspire someone else along their journey, but also it's not a memoir book. It's not, you know, all just about me and what I've been through, but it's really about the reader and what you're going through. And so each letter is a little bit general. It says things like, maybe you're feeling like this, or it could be on the other hand that you're going through that situation. And either way, here's a way to handle it because what happened to me and what my experience was and what I went through during a deployment might not exactly apply to you but I think the emotions do. I think uh, challenges are the same. You know, we all have similar struggles. So when we can find that common ground and really unite and encourage each other there, that's, that's what makes it so powerful. Mm. Well, and the way you were able to share both just brings this perfect balance of, I know she knows what it feels like to go through what I'm going through. And then she's speaking to me. It's just hooray for great editors. Cause that was an incredible, <laughs> an incredible aspect to the book and the chapter. I don't know if you want to call it a chapter, but the story that where you share uh, having your baby in the middle of a hurricane and your husband's deployed and your mom's home with the other kids and you're alone and there's no power. I was like gripping the book as I read that. <laughs> I was, oh, that was an incredible story and hero to you for just living through that. And you just do, you just get through it. You just do what is asked and it's incredibly challenging, but you find that inner strength. And you mentioned that a lot in your book, just that, that inner strength that you almost didn't even know was there. Like if, you, if someone asked you to think you could do this, you'd probably say no, but then the time comes and you do it. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think that's, what's inspiring is that um, 
at the time, you know, I absolutely did not want to give birth during a deployment. It was not something that I voluntarily signed up for and certainly would not have chosen to do it during a hurricane if I had my own boat, which I did not. So, you know, it was just an incredibly stressful and, and frustrating event. Um, and there were some things that I could do logistically ahead of time to try and prepare for that and to emotionally get to a place where I was ready to give birth on my own. And that part I thought I had prepared well for, but the hurricane definitely threw a wrench in all my plans. Not and prepared for that. Right. And it's just such a metaphor for military life that like, we think we're preparing for one thing and we're like, okay, I'm going to do the paperwork. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up and be ready. Right. And I am so organized and I've got all these steps planned out. And then like out of nowhere, this entirely unexpected event happens and you're like, oh, well, there goes that checklist. Okay. (laughs) So I wanted to use that story, not just as a, you know, look at this traumatic event that I went through. But I think when people are reading it, yes, you, you do get the, the emotional challenge that I went through during that time. But I hope that it's inspiring too to read that and say, you know what? I don't ever want to give birth during a deployment, but if I have to, now I know at least one other person who's successfully done it and she did it during a hurricane. So my experience can't be it's that not bad. even that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to belittle their experience, but it could be worse. That's almost more of the sentiment, right? Like, yeah, that's really, that's really powerful. I had a, an experience during my husband's first appointment where I broke my leg and had to like get surgery and some really terrible things. And we all have, well, most of us have stories, not always so dramatic, but Uh, I had several wives come to me and say like on my hardest days, I would think at least my leg's not broken. And I'd be like, I'm so glad I could be that for you. (laughs) Right. And that's what is so powerful about sharing those stories that you're uh, right. It's done in the right way and not a, you know, woe is me or, or something like that. But there's people out there who are going through major challenges. And I think it's, there's such a tendency in military spouse life to feel isolated and to feel alone and to feel like I'm the only one who's ever broken my leg during a deployment. I'm the only one who's ever had to get through this hurricane or whatever. And when we kind of unite ourselves to the entire military spouse community, you're going to find that someone else has been through a very similar situation and someone else found a way through and they can show you that light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, I just feel like, wouldn't we all love to have someone just kind of reach out and grab our hands when we're struggling in a situation and just kind of pull you to safety and be like, here, it's okay. Come over here. It's going to be all right. And that's what I hope that these letters can do. Yeah. One of my favorite pieces of military advice or deployment advice is uh, the one I often will give it is to surround yourself with people who know what it feels like to go through what you're going through and not even necessarily physically. We can't always physically surround ourselves, but to just make sure that you're interacting regularly, even if it's on Facebook, like in your awesome group, she has on her, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, her Facebook group is called handle deployment, like a boss. So good. So many women on there just banding around each other. I don't even know if that's the right word, but buoying each other up and you come with your hard day and your concern and you have just an army of women just saying, I've been there. You can do this message me if you need anything like so much support. And that is one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself is to do whatever it takes to eliminate that isolation, whether you're literally feeling isolated because you don't have physical friends around, or if you're just mentally feeling isolated because you're spending time thinking, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. Maybe I'm the only one that has struggled this much. Everyone else seems to have it all figured out and I'm over here struggling. None of that's true. We all struggle every time, no matter how seasoned you are, which is a very cool, a cool thing that you communicated in this book is that every deployment's hard for different reasons. Every 
you know, PCS is hard for different reasons, no matter how seasoned you are. Yeah. And I think that's a topic that comes up a lot is that idea of building your own community, finding your own support system. I mean, no one's going to do it for you. And unfortunately, I mean, it's just one more task to add to our plates and it's not something that's always easy or fun to get out there and meet people and make those connections. But you absolutely have to be proactive because they're not necessarily going to come to you and you need to build that system before you even know that you need it. So I would always start months before deployment. You know, I don't know who I'm going to need during the deployment, but I'm going to need somebody's phone numbers at some point for some emergency. (laughs) And it's better to just be prepared than, than to not have them. Yeah. So I, I tell my listeners to make like a literal physical list of people you can call in the heat of the moment, because in the heat of the moment, your first thought is often there's not like, I don't have anyone. My husband's gone. So I don't have anyone, right? Like there's no one who could help me. It's, it's 2am. I don't have anyone. Right. But when, as you prepare for a deployment or different aspects of military life, you'll have people who'll say, you know, let me know if I can help. They don't know how to help you. They don't know what you need. You have to be intentional and proactive. Like you were just saying of you, you add their name to that list. That person really wants to help you, but they don't know what you need. And then no matter if it's 2am or last minute or anything, call them. It's, it's really an honor for them to help when, they, when they've given that legitimate you know, offer of help, you have people and to, to be prepared, like you said, is it makes a huge difference. I think as I've matured in military life, um, I sometimes see myself as a bridge between the two generations. So um, I came in in the, uh, the, the pre-social media generation. Yes pre-cell phones and that that features in one of the stories in the book that we didn't have cell phones then it wasn't a thing um so i i did communicate with my husband during his first few deployments purely by letters or by the once a month satellite phone calls and that's all we had at the time and i know there are still some deployments today that are like that but it's not the majority anymore and so now you have some deployments where people are taking their phones with them and maybe they can even email or text or have video calls on a regular basis And I didn't get to experience that until his later two deployments and knowing how to do kind of the the analog communication and the modern day apps communication and, and being comfortable with both of them is a skill that not everyone has. And I I had to learn slowly that, especially like the newer and younger spouses, they don't know necessarily how to communicate, how to even use the post office comfortably and sometimes I just have to meet them at their skill set where they are and be like, oh, which part are you struggling with? Here's where I can help you. That's so good. You are the bridge, Lizanne. I love that. That's so good. Yeah, we joined in 2007. So it was even, you were 2001, right? Just yes. like right at September 11th. Yep. So even just those six years, it was a different world to join from when you did to I did. And that's just six years difference. But Yeah. And, no. and that's the crazy part. And I'm not someone that wants to be like, oh, in the old days, it was like that. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm a seasoned spouse, but I'm not old. Right, right. Um, yeah. Still still young and fresh, I hope. I still have a toddler. That's right. That's right. Toddlers <laughs> keep you young and fresh, that's for sure. <laughs> they also give us gray hairs simultaneously. Ooh. Yeah, it's a neat perk. <laughs> it's a neat perk. Okay, well, let's get into a couple of specific chapters, if that's okay with you. Sure. So I want to just mention something right in the, the intro, maybe you would call it. I love, I'm just going to read a couple things. Is that all right with you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. 
uh, in this first, in this intro, it says open when you need this book. And in the middle, she says, if someone tried to tell you everything you need to know about military life all at once, it would be overwhelming. The good news is you don't need to know everything all at once. This was like one of my favorite pieces, because that is what happens when you are new, you are inundated with information or when you're, when this is your first appointment or your first move really new at any piece of it, you get almost inundated with information. And that's another beautiful piece of this book is that you just meet us right where we are. And you just speak to that one thing you're going through. And you know that the rest of it will just like worry about it. When I get to that point, there's, there's certain things you prepare for and learn about ahead of time, but there's so much that you just know, I'm going to learn as I go, I'm going to get to that piece when I get to it. And I think your book does that beautifully. And then you go on to say from time to time, you'll need a word of encouragement, a little light in the dark, a friendly reminder, or simply the reassurance that you are not in fact losing your mind. That's why I wrote the letters in this book. And I think that was so perfect because I don't know about other people, but it sounds like you and I have the same uh, little voice saying like, are we crazy? (laughs) There's a chance we're losing our minds, but it's so nice to know you absolutely are not that you're in this together with other people. And that, like we already have mentioned, that is just one of the most powerful gifts that you can give yourself is to boost yourself up in that way, rather than let yourself get dragged down by the discouraging and often irrational and totally untrue thoughts of like, I'm the only one who feels this way. And I'm, there's a chance, like I'm going crazy. (laughs) Well, and honestly, I think that comes from, uh, you mentioned my deployment support group that I've been running for a few years now. There are thousands of spouses in that group right now. And it's, it's amazing, but I keep hearing these same questions again and again. And a lot of them start out asking, is it okay if I feel X, Y, Z, or is it normal for me to be whatever? And I find that so sad and frustrating that someone has to ask for permission to feel a certain way about military life, to be frustrated or angry or sad or jealous of their service member or whatever the situation is. And so a lot of these letters are just acknowledging that the emotion that you're feeling right now is okay. There's not one acceptable right way to do military life. And if you are feeling happy about military life, that's fine. And if you're feeling really angry at the military on a given day, that's pretty common and normal too. And neither one of those is unacceptable or wrong or broken or anything like that. It's just part of the life. And I want people to know that all of those emotions are acceptable. And if you're experiencing them and you're struggling with them, there are some things that you can do about it, but the emotion in itself is never wrong. And that's the first half of the overcoming any particular challenges, realizing like, it's okay that I'm feeling this right now, just almost accepting the experience and the emotions. And then, and then the next piece is now, what do I want to do about it? But um, I, and I think that that comes with the spouse seasoning. (laughs) Uh, It's very normal near when you're earlier on in your journey to want to get that validation from others to, to say, is it, is it okay? I'm feeling this way. Am I the only one? And then as you go on, you're, I think, you know, maybe you're years in and, you know, a couple deployments in or whatever, and you still find yourself maybe asking yourself that question, but then you kind of remember, I remember I used to feel this way. I remember the experience I've had now I've been around encouraging other people. It all becomes much more solid in your brain that whatever I'm feeling is normal. That's, that's a huge thing to give yourself permission to, to believe and allow for just to say, we all experience it differently. And what I'm feeling, I give myself permission to feel. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of the first approach of every one of the letters was thinking through a particular moment and a particular challenge and what emotions might you feel in that moment. And then starting off by validating the reader and then 
like you said, helping them decide what to do next and leading them from there. Yeah. We are capable of validating ourselves, but it's very human to seek validation from others. And particularly when you're low or in a hard moment, you have less to give yourself, I think, than in a moment where you're feeling, you know, more yourself. And so I think that's another awesome piece of this book is that you're catching us in these low moments and typically in an area we'd probably be able to validate ourselves in, but in this moment, we, we need it from another source. Right. And that's so good. And I love, I love that. I'm just going to read you just a few. um, I love how the way you addressed each letter, like this chapter that I want to mention here is open when you first learn about deployment orders and, um, you start out the letter, dear bewildered friend. I love that. It's like, so that, so before I get into this chapter, I'll just read you a few other uh, chapter headers, like dear disoriented friend or um, dear spinning friend, you know, just depending on what the chapter is about, dear misunderstood friend. Um, oh, this was one of my favorites. And the chapter open when you spend your first night alone, the letter is addressed to dear one with all the pillows. <laughs> that was so good. Very clever, Lizanne. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted each one to be unique. So I actually had a, uh, a running document of all the all the greetings that I had used. And then I had to think Make sure of to not, yeah. new ones. As I oh, that's so good. Okay, so in this chapter, when you first learn about deployment orders... Um, this, the permission we were just discussing reminded me of this chapter where in one paragraph you say, like, if you're crying, that's okay. I, I feel like crying is a big one for military spouses or significant others in general, because um, we often think that things like crying, it may not, may not be crying for each person, but things like crying is a sign of weakness or a sign that we're not doing as well as we thought we were, or we're thinking like, I'm supposed to be strong, but I love to tell my listeners and my clients Like, what if crying is what strong looks like? What if you're allowing your emotion? And that is very brave. What if you're telling other people, like I cried today and that was being brave and strong and also being like willing to be vulnerable and show other people, like I have way emotional days too. How about you? Like just to connect in that way, I feel like rather than suppressing or ignoring emotions or pretending like they didn't happen, like shamefully crying and like not telling anybody. I feel like that's not as strong as when you're willing to let yourself cry, let yourself, let people know you cry, let people know you had hard, a hard day. That to me is like the utmost example of strength and bravery and just giving yourself permission to do all of that. I love that word permission. So that's, that really stood out to me. Yeah. I think that is tough. Um, I do get that question a lot of, you know, is it okay to cry in front of my kids or, you know, people trying to just stay strong as they're saying goodbye during deployment. I always cry on the way home and I've cried in front of my kids on the way home. And I cried when I was a significant other without kids in the car. And it's, you know, you're not crying the entire deployment, but yeah, there's going to be definitely moments where you need to, and you approach those moments and you, you handle them, but you don't need to be ashamed of them. Or like you said, hide them or pretend they haven't happened. It's just part of the, part of the whole roller coaster. (laughs) And I think it's really good to cry in front of your kids. It shows them that you aren't like a robot. (laughs) Like, yes, I have ups and downs. I have good days, bad days, and crying is healthy, in my opinion. Some people don't like crying, and and it might be a different way that you're maybe releasing some of those emotions. But I think that crying is an incredible, incredible, healthy, and strong way to express what's going on for you in that moment. But speaking of kids, another chapter that I loved is open when your kids don't want to move. Dear parent taking all the blame. (laughs) Oh, so good. I love that. Like, as I read the chapter headings that they like made me smile, even amidst like the hard topic. So that was another piece I like about that. I wanted to touch on this one because 
I hear a lot, like I, I read on your group and, and with my listeners that it's very hard on the, the solo primary parent at home handling the emotions of the kids. And it can be very exhausting and it, well, it can wear on you because yes. you're like so concerned for the, what their effect, the effect that they're having from what's going on and their pain. You're an adult, you know how to ask for what you need and talk about what you need and, and even just understand what you're going through. And they're, they don't know that as well. They don't have the mature brain and, and, you know, all of the tools that we have. So I wanted to touch on this one for a minute because one of the most powerful things that I've learned in my military journey has been that my kids can handle so much more than I (laughs) think they can even or and or want them to. And again, kind of back to that permission of nothing has gone wrong when they're upset with their lives. We sort of think as a mom that we need to fix that or that that means we shouldn't have made the decision we made or we shouldn't have done the thing we're doing. But instead, I just give my kids space to kind of hate what's happening to them right now. And I think that that you touch on that in this chapter. And I think that's so powerful. Again, it's kind of back to that permission. Give your kids permission to hate what's happening. Give yourself permission to just let them be in pain and not need to fix it. Kids, yeah. this actually builds their resilience and kids can handle it's, it's really good for them. It strengthens them. It teaches them so much. And you and I both know that our kids are in a different place than their peers because of what they have had to go through in their life, in their young life. Most young mm-hmm. kids don't experience, I say most, because obviously, even if you're not in the military, there are children who experience challenging circumstances, but most of their peers have a relatively predictable, relatively you know, steady life that hasn't thrown too many curveballs at them. And our children are more, are a little more mature, a little more experienced, a little more resilient, a little more flexible. It's, it's really incredible. And I wanted to get, if, see if you had any more thoughts on that. I mean, I think it's, it's very difficult to give broad general advice like this because so much does depend on the age of your child and your kid's personality. And, you know, I can't know every reader's child's personality. So um, I hope that the advice in that one would be general enough to apply to a lot of military kids, but my kids have reacted differently at, for each move and at different ages. And I have some that take it harder than others and some that are a little bit more resilient than the others. I think a big part of it is that a lot of spouses want to, you know, be the cheerleader and like, let's make this move an adventure and let's look up all the fun things. And it's on us to provide that positive excitement about a move when the entire rest of the family is being negative and like, oh, this is going to be so hard. And I don't want to leave my friends. And what about blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we exhaust ourselves, I think, trying to be the positive one. But I think it's also so important to let your kids not be positive. Sometimes, like you said, they are allowed to have a really bad attitude about a move. They are allowed to recognize the things that are going to be hard. And I think parents who try to cheerlead past that, be like, put on a brave face. We're going to get through it. It'll be fine. You're not quite meeting the child where they are. And you're not acknowledging this difficult burden that they go through. And I was not a military kid. My kids know that I grew up in the same house for 20 years and I got to go to the same school with the same friends for my whole childhood. And they get a little bit upset and jealous of that. They're like, you don't know what it's like, mom. You haven't had to change schools three times in the past three years. And I'm like, no, you're right. I haven't. But I do know what it's like to feel left out of a group of friends. I do know what it's like to feel like you're on the outside and you don't understand things. I do know what it's like not to fit in. And so if you want me to talk to you about those things, I'm happy to talk about them. So just sort of finding that common ground, especially for parents who weren't military kids that um, 
you know, you have to find something that can unite you and make sure that your kids know that you're on the same team with them. It doesn't need to be a competition. You're not fighting each other about the move. Not if one person wins, the other one doesn't have to lose, but this is really a challenge that you're going to face together and you need to do it as teammates. So that's so good. I want to read a paragraph from this, this section. Uh, it says, you can talk about the benefits of the next duty station, but wait until your child is receptive. That is so that's what you were just mentioning. And that's so um, apt. And it says, if you start telling them the positives of the new place, when they're not ready to hear it, they may become angry or believe that you don't care about or understand their feelings. And this was, this is my favorite parenting advice in general. That's you say, don't take it personally. If they take <laughs> out their frustrations on you, let them know it's okay to be angry. Sometimes what looks and feels like anger is really sorrow and that's understandable. And that really goes to I mean, adults do this too, but where kids have fewer tools and less experience with big emotions, they may, you know, take it out on you when they're just so disappointed or so sad and, and you're um, tempted to take it personally or, uh, you know, misinterpret what they're doing instead, just give them that space. Like this doesn't mean anything about me. This doesn't even mean we shouldn't make this move or stay in the military or whatever. Yeah. You just need space to feel very sad and it's going to come out as anger. And I am watching for the moment when they're ready to feel better. And then I will help them in that direction. But when you push it on them too soon, it often backfires. I thought that was such, yeah. such a good paragraph. That's a, it's a hard lesson I had to learn from my oldest because, you know, our oldest kids are the ones that teach us everything. <laughs> and um, from a young age, she went through a lot of deployments and a lot of moves. And sometimes what would come out would be anger. And I knew as a parent that it was related to the move or it was connected to the deployment, but I couldn't always connect all those dots to really understand what is she angry about and how can I what can I do with this? Because she was just very, very angry. And it helped tremendously when I realized that, you know, she wasn't angry at me. She was directing anger at me, but that's not where it was coming from. And so when I didn't take it personally, when I helped to find the root of it and, you know, we did a, a bunch of different things to help her address that, but realizing that I was not necessarily responsible, I didn't need to feel guilty and I didn't need to bear the, the brunt of her anger. I just needed to help her to process it and to redirect it. That made a huge difference in our relationship. Yeah. Well, and when you stop taking it personally, it is, it becomes less exhausting. You have more headspace to handle whatever they've got to throw at you because you're not taking what's already challenging and then making it more challenging by making it about your mothering or, you know, any of those things that we're really tempted to make it mean or to be hurt by what they say, or, you know, any of that, that's a very wise lesson for, for all parents to learn really in a lot of environments, but in this one in particular. And I hear military wives talk about how, you know, say we're in a deployment and they're young child who can't understand super well where their dad is or how long it's going to be, even if they, you know, maybe they're two or three or four and they can understand we had to say goodbye to daddy for a long time, you know, that kind of thing. Their kids really miss their dad. And they ask their mom, like, I miss him. When am I going to see him? And that again, it's not taking it personally, but it's taking that, that burden on you as something that you need to solve, but it can't be solved for because they can't come home. Right. And so then military mom or wives who are dealing with these young children often get so exhausted because they feel so much pain for what their child's going through. And what I love to invite them to do is to just say, let them miss their dad. Like 
that that's a really normal emotion. And the only, the main thing that makes it exhausting is when you think I have to like make it so they don't miss him anymore or fix this for them. And I think even their absence. Yes. Oh yeah. Which is also exhausting. exhausting and impossible, but, uh, just similar to like letting your children see you cry. I think that it is so valuable to just meet your child where they're at to say, like, I miss him so much too. I wish he could be here. You know, instead of saying like, oh, it's okay. Let me distract you. And I don't, you know, like almost as if you're not missing him, even though you are, let yeah. them see that you miss them too. That we're all accepting that we can't change the circumstance. We miss him. We wish he could be here. He can't be here. So we'll just let's, let's just let ourselves miss him and let's feel it together. I think that can be a really bonding thing. And it takes your, your exhaustion down, which is what we're always trying to achieve is like, Mom yes. needs more headspace, more capacity, more energy. So I look for those ways that we're draining ourselves by uh, in a way that's unnecessary and can be really challenging. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Another chapter that I want to touch on uh, for a second is, I already mentioned this one, open when you spend your first night alone, dear one with all the pillows. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a big one uh, that I hear from my clients, just these adjustments that you make where you're not used to sleeping alone. And particularly when it comes to something longer, like a deployment, I mean, it's hard even in just a a TDY or a training or or something that is even shorter. But when you think about, you know, sleeping alone for something like that for an extended period of time, we often get caught in the moment that we're in, right? Where it's like sleeping alone, like right now, I know this isn't a big deal to sleep alone, but the thing that is overwhelming us, what I tend to find is that we're laying there thinking, I have... 280 more nights alone. Like that's the thing that's overwhelming you in that moment. Not just, we can all sleep a night alone or even 280 nights alone or whatever it ends up being. But it's interesting to note that like, you're not overwhelmed by the thing that's happening, but you're overwhelmed in that moment because of uh, my, my sister and I make a joke. It's the on and onness of it all. It's that, you know, it's going to be night after night, after night, after night, after night. So I thought I it was that's the letter where I talk about that exact challenge of, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill, except I know I didn't use that phrase because that's not great. But um, <laughs> what I mean is it was the idea of taking future challenges and imposing them all on us at once, because like you said, you're not facing all of those nights together. You're facing it one night at a time at a time. And there's so many things that we can do one step at a time, one day at a time and all that. But when we try to face this enormous situation of either a deployment or a PCS move or some other career changing, life changing event, when we take on the entire mountain at once, it is overwhelming. It's completely daunting and it's frankly impossible. So we just look at that and we feel defeated and we feel like, you know, we don't have the energy and the strength to deal with it. And um, you know, how am I going to get through this? But when you take those little steps and kind of step back and say, okay, it's just one night. How, what am I going to do to make the most of this night? How can I put a positive spin on this or get something out of it for myself, you know, explore a hobby or eat something I enjoy or not do a chore that I don't like doing Yes, little things. When you start focusing on that in that particular moment and just addressing that day, it makes it so much more manageable. It does. Yeah. I always encourage my clients to zoom in because when we're in that overwhelm, we're thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, and instead to say like, I don't know how I'm going to do all that, but what do I need to do next? Like just zoom into the very next moment, the very next decision, the very next task 
and that really can relieve relieve that overwhelm from the mountain that you that you have been building <laughs> so that's really really good okay the last chapter that i want to touch on unless you have anything else you want to mention is the chapter that is entitled open when you feel out of control mm-hmm. it's to dear spinning friend so this is one that touches very deep to me because i didn't know i was doing this but i let myself believe that because there was so much about military life that was out of my control, I just lumped my whole life together and thought my life is out of my control. And it's so easy to do. And yet feeling out of control is one of the most overwhelming feelings and daunting feelings. And I love the advice that you give in this chapter of like, we're tempted to believe that when big pieces of our life are out of our control. And that should be acknowledged. Big pieces are out of our control. We're tempted, to, yeah, we're tempted to believe that it all is. And then we just kind of throw our arms up and say like, I'm, I'm at the whim of whatever happens. But to some of the advice that you gave is so good. I'm going to read this. It says, whatever is beyond your control, I'm sure you know worrying won't change it. No matter how much you lie awake at night or walk the floor, your anxiety won't change how long your loved one is deployed or what difficulties they will face. And that's when we're in that moment of focusing on the pieces that we can't control and it amps our anxiety up and it amps our lack of sleep. So many things. And then all those problems like compound into each other. And so while we don't want to ignore those pieces of our circumstances that are out of our control, you go on to say like the best thing you can do for yourself is to let go of what you can't control and focus on what you can control. And I think that that balance is what so many of us are missing we get so focused on what we can't control that it feels like everything. But when we start to shift that focus to, okay, there are pieces of my life, my control. Let me start to focus on those. This piece is in my control. You know, you can control your breathing. You say you can control, you can't control what's on the news, but you can control how much news you watch. Like there's just so much more in our control than we realize. And as soon as we start focusing on it, it becomes the bigger thing. And it just really will pull you out of that anxious, worrying, fearful place to a place of like, I'm simultaneously acknowledging the parts that are hard and out of my control while empowering myself to feel, to, to really acknowledge the things that are in my control and to feel more in control of my life. I think that's just such a game changer. And I wanted to see if you had any other thoughts to share on that. Yeah. I, I specifically remember when I learned that lesson (laughs) and it was during my husband's fifth deployment when I had just had baby number three, this was actually right after that hurricane birth. Wow. Um, So my kids were ages like three, 18 months and newborn and he's deployed. And yes, I did have some family members who generously came and stayed with me and helped me out for a little while, but there were chunks of that deployment where I was on my own with the three kids and it did feel overwhelming. Um, he was in Afghanistan, so he was in combat. I did not have any control over our communication. I didn't know, you know, when he would call or whether he was safe. So that whole part was this little ball of anxiety that I had no control over. And then there was, you know, the kids that kids make messes and don't do things on schedules and change their behavior every couple of weeks. So they felt very out of control. And it just made, like you said, my whole house, everything felt out of control and it made me feel very powerless. And I had to start taking baby steps during that deployment. Um, As a, you know, as a recovering mom of a newborn, I had to find tiny things that I could control. And I remember starting with the master bedroom, like 
with my bathroom because no one else was going in there. You know, it was just me. And I was like, okay, this is the one space in the house that I can like keep clean and controlled and that no one else is messing with it. And that was like my (laughs) retreat for a while where the one place where things just felt like, okay, nothing in here has moved and it's all right. And then that sort of spread to my room once the baby was no longer sleeping next to me. And, you know, he was in his own crib in his own room at night. I had the master bedroom to myself. And I was like, I can keep this space organized. I can do my laundry. I can, you know, decide what I want to do in my room when no one else is bothering me. And, you know, the kids are asleep and everything. So it, it was physical, but it was also emotional. And it was, you know, from there I could control what I decided to eat during the deployment and, you know, recovering from baby weight and everything. And, and I started finding more control and more structure and just more ability to make choices in my own life. Husband was still deployed. I still couldn't do anything about his safety or what was on the news and all of that, but I could find this little tiny world that I could control in my own house. And that made a huge difference. And I will admit that uh, a couple months ago when uh, the U S forces were leaving Afghanistan and you know, there's a lot on the news and we were all going through a a fairly emotional time period. I I actually picked up my own book and I was like, well, I know I didn't write about forces withdrawing from Afghanistan because that hadn't happened yet. But I was like, I, I have to have something that, that makes sense and and connects here. And I, this is actually the letter that I read and it kind of helped ground me in that moment and, and put things back into perspective. And I was like, okay, this is how I can face this. I can control whether or not I'm watching the news and I can, you know, control what things I'm focusing on and how I'm interacting with my family right now. And it, it helps me get through that pretty difficult time. So, Oh, that's so powerful. And, you know, it's interesting because no matter what your circumstances are, whether you're military or not, whether you're in a deployment or not, our circum, our lives, our circumstances will never be 100% in our control. And even though we logically understand that without realizing it, we sort of think that's the goal. So we're measuring ourselves up to this, like, so much of my life is out of my control. I must be like failing at things. Right. Mm -hmm. And we don't, that's two ends of the spectrum. We don't, we'll never have hundred percent of our lives in control and we'll never be um, like 100% out of control. We're just sort of ignoring the things that are in our control and we're focusing on the things that aren't. And I love that you, like at the end of this chapter, you say, when you find even one small thing you can control, you may find the other parts of life will start to calm down a bit too. And I think that is a really powerful concept that we underestimate at when, when you do slow it down, just like you said, you know, start with your bathroom or whatever, slow it down, realize like the goal, I will never have it all in control and it's not the goal. So I'm going to slow it down, give myself a ton of space and grace and like the a reasonable amount of time because, you know, and the thing that you just outlined where you started in your bathroom and worked out towards your bedroom, you're also giving your body time to heal and your kids time to, you know, get a little older. There's just like, everyone just needs a little time and a little, little space and a little understanding to be where they're at and to progress together and your control will, other pieces of your life will calm down and your control will grow and grow when you're focused on the pieces that you can control. We just, we just cling to the pieces that, that don't. And and like I said, whether you're in the military or not, we all have these pieces. Mm -hmm. For some reason, there's, there's something about military life. I know I really saw this come out in the past couple of years with the pandemic, our lives are, have always have this element of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. We just don't think about it too much. And then there's things that come up that shove that uncertainty in our face, like a pandemic. Right. And then I feel like in the military, 
those things come up very frequently. So even though everybody has lots of elements that are out of their control, there's moments and circumstances that come up in military life that jam that out of controlness or that uncertainty right in our face just way more than uh, maybe a civilian life. That's something that, I don't know, that's something I've observed. Would you agree with that? (laughs) I do. And I think it happens at a younger age too. I mean, that we have girlfriends and boyfriends and young spouses who are having to discuss wills and, you know, what happens when you die, which I think, you know, as humans, we all are aware that life does not last forever and everyone's going to die. But for the average person, you push that to a very dark corner of your brain and you hopefully don't need to think about it until you or your spouse are 60 years old or 80 or what, I don't know, whenever you want to think about it. But um, for, for military couples that reality and that discussion has to happen a lot earlier in your marriage. And um, I shared the story in my book where my husband, well, fiance at the time was wounded during an Iraq deployment. We hadn't even gotten married yet. Uh, I was still in college and I got a phone call that he was wounded and um, recovering in a military hospital. So being faced with that reality at the age of, I think, 20, um, for both of us, you know, it just was a, a life-changing event. And unfortunately that means that that reality and that emotion came to the surface every time he deployed again, because he did combat deployments after that. And I had to face that reality every time. And I think we all know that when your spouse deploys or goes on any type of training, sure, there's that possibility, but we don't want to focus on it. So I think you said it really well saying that it just, just comes right in your face, smacks you in the face of military life and, <laughs> over and over. you have to deal with it one way or another. Um, everyone has their different coping mechanisms and whatnot, but I think as military spouses, yeah, we're forced to develop those coping strategies much earlier, much younger, um, and usually isolated from our family and from our normal support system. So it's a it's a very sink or swim type of environment. It really is. And P.S. I can't believe you found out about your husband's injury on a post-it note like that to me, you guys, you got to go read this book because she tells such great stories. And I, I could just, I was just right there with you imagining coming home to that note and just not even knowing how my brain would process that just wild. So wild. Yeah. It's still that, that story and, and the deployment birth story are still, I mean, they happened years ago, the deployment birth, my son just turned 10. So it's been a whole decade. And my husband's injury, um, that was 2004. So also a long time ago and still writing those stories. I mean, you put yourself emotionally right back in that moment. And I can remember the, the sights and sounds and smells of those days. Like you, like right now, even just talking about it, I get little shivers. I don't know if that's like adrenaline or if that's some type of like fight or flight response, but I was crying writing those stories because it's very difficult to to relive them and to put yourself through that. But, um, but my hope is that it connects with the readers and it encourages someone. And I know there's people out there that wonder what would I do if I ever received that news that my, you know, boyfriend, fiance, husband, wife, girlfriend, whatever was wounded. Like, Oh my gosh, how would I react in that moment? And I hope that I can tell you, like, it is difficult. I literally went through that and it's not a fun moment. However, it's going to be okay. And here's yeah, how, handle it. here's how you can handle it because I had to, and you'll have to, too, if it comes to you. Amazing. Okay. Well, as we wrap up today, this has been such a fabulous conversation. I do want to mention one other thing that I loved about this book that I really appreciated as I read it. You mentioned this at the beginning of the interview, but that it covers 
a 30 year span. I mean, we're, you know, we're all in for a different amount of time, but it, it really covers the whole journey. This book is for each military spouse Mm -hmm. at any point in your journey. It'll be a valuable addition to your library because for, so for me, as I read through it, you know, I have really enjoyed reading the chapters that were in my past, you know, some of the, like when you're, when your loved ones at basic training, open this win, you know, some of these things that are uh, something that I went through years and years ago, but it was still very nostalgic for me to read those and remember exactly how I felt in those moments. And then I'm in the middle of my journey. So, so like, you know, most of the chapters can apply to that. And then I know I have retirement in my future. And so reading those chapters were just like, oh, that's exciting and interesting and a little bit scary, you know, just reading some of those chapters. And I think even if you're, you know, I love that even if you're like a spouse, maybe, you know, closer to the end, like you, and you have tons of experience, I think that you become a better uh, seasoned spouse when some of those memories, you can almost freshen them up for yourself as you relate to the people who are in the thick of those moments that you won't have anymore or that were so far away for you. You know, like we talked about sometimes when you reach out for help in a, in a community, there are people who that experience for them was so long ago, or they're, they are, they have so much practice at that kind of moment now that it doesn't affect them the way it used to. And to put, to be able to put yourself back to where you were when you were in that moment gives you so much empathy and compassion for the military spouses around you that need you and need your support and your example and your guidance and your encouragement. And that's even another thing that this book can do for you is just to reminisce and keep all that very fresh for you so that you're ready to be the military spouse that you want to be when you want to reach out and help other people. So it's just, it was just such a fantastic journey. I love the whole thing. And I am giving this book to all of my clients for Christmas. So I'm really excited about that. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's so exciting. It's awesome. I, I love that you have that perspective because I think that's the beauty of these letters. I wrote them hoping that they would apply to a variety of situations. And yet the feedback that I'm getting is sometimes situations that I didn't even envision or think about and people using them in, in fresh and creative ways. So I, I included that whole section for the seasoned spouses at the end of the book with all those letters for when you're, you know, closer to retirement or when your military kids have grown and, you know, just that later stage of military life. And I I wanted to include the seasoned spouses to meet them where they are, because I think so many times when you've reached that stage that nobody's asking if you need help anymore. They assume that you're good, that you've got it, that totally you're doing. And those seasoned spouses, I think still need letters of encouragement and just a friendly voice now and then. So I included that section for them, but I didn't even think about it as a seasoned spouse going back and reading those earlier letters about your first deployment and your your experience with basic training and things like that, how that would really help connect you and relate you to the younger spouses in your community. So thank you for, for sharing that perspective. And I definitely hope that if we have some listeners who are in that middle stage or later stage of their journey, that, that that's what you'll take away from this is that find ways that you can encourage the other military spouses around you. Exactly. So good. Okay. Well, I want to um, mention a few things here before we close. One, Lizanne has so generously offered to let me do a giveaway for 
the, a digital copy of her book. So I will be announcing details about that just on my Facebook page. So listeners, you can go and check it out there. I'll make sure to get the word out about that when I'm ready to do that giveaway. And then I want to hear from you, Lizanne, how all the ways we can find you and then specifically the best ways to order your book. Yeah, thank you. Well, you can find me on my blog, which is seasonspouse.com. I'm also on most social media as either Season Spouse or The Season Spouse. So you can find me there. The book is available on Amazon. They finally restocked after initially selling out of it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So that's exciting that it's back in stock now. But you can also get it directly through my publisher, which is especially useful if you're doing any type of bulk order. If you want to do a book club for your spouse unit, if you are a chaplain that wants to place an order for the base, then absolutely go through the publisher for the best discount. And that's militaryfamilybooks.com. Okay. I'll include those links in my show notes to make sure, because sometimes people are like driving when they're listening to this and can't sure. write it down. So I'll make sure to get that to their, their, there for them. And uh, is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about? Just that I hope that all military spouses will find the encouragement they need and the support to get through this military journey in whatever stage you're in right now. Um, I'm here for you. I know Jesse's here for you. And we just all want to support you as you go along that path. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lizanne. It was just such a privilege to have you on the podcast today. I really appreciate you sharing your time, your efforts, your book and your life with us. And maybe not right away, but I can totally see like a volume two in your future because (laughs) as I was reading it, I was like, oh, and then what about this? It's like, as you read it, you think of all these, I mean, there's just so many experiences that- Yeah. I've already thought of a few things that like, oh, I should have included that. Volume two, man. Give yourself a little break, a little (laughs) author break, and then give us volume two, maybe for our next Christmas or something. All right. (laughs) You're like, sure. Okay. Well, thank you, Lizanne. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Ready to take what you are learning here to the next level? Then join me for resiliency training. This is my monthly coaching program that includes a private coaching session with me each month along with weekly content and individual email support. Start anytime for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the difficulties of military life and that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.